Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Illustration Department Podcast. My name is Giuseppe Castellano. In this podcast, I talk to folks in illustration, graphic design, publishing, animation, and other creative fields about their work, the lessons they've learned, and the bumps and bruises they've experienced along the way. In this episode, my guest is artist and Caldecott honor winner, Mary Grandpre. It can feel scary to think about ending your pursuit at being an illustrator, whether you started three months or 30 years ago. As Mary and I discuss, there is magic in life after illustration. On one of the topics, Mary shares how she got into and why she got out of a career in illustration. She tells us what she likes most about her art for Harry Potter, and it may not be what you think. And Mary reminds artists why it's important to keep exploring. I hope you enjoy our conversation. in here drinking my tea, which is basically just hot lemon water with crushed clove. Oh, okay. And it just tastes nice. And the clove reminds me of the painting studios at RISD. Everyone seems to mm-hmm. use clove oil in their oil, oh, okay. on their palettes. Okay. Yeah. So it just smells really nice. And so anyway, I'm drinking that. I'm putting notes together for you and looking at your art and it just kind of like <laughs> takes me back to my RISD painting days. Oh, that's um, great. I had a teacher who like just looking at your work kind of reminded me of his work by the name of Al DeCredico. Okay. Quite abstract. Much of his work had to do with reactions to line and shape and color. So he would, Mm -hmm. you know, really the process really led the way with his stuff. And at the Mm -hmm. time I didn't care for any of it. I didn't care for Mm -hmm. what he was saying because he was my freshman year drawing teacher. Okay. One of the assignments he gave us, the first assignment he gave us was, I want everyone to go back to your dorm, do a drawing of what you think drawing is, and then come back and we'll critique. I did a master copy of Rockwell because at the time that's what I thought (laughs) drawing was. And one of my classmates brought in the lid of a pizza box that had oil stains on it. (laughs) Al DeCredico loved that pizza box and hated the hell out of my drawing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not, uh, all of this is to say, I didn't appreciate abstract art then. I definitely appreciate what he was trying to say about it and about the act of drawing, allowing the mm-hmm. process to mm-hmm. really lead the way and trust mm-hmm. that you'll end up getting to where you want to go, regardless of whatever your discipline was. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that was the big pie in the sky for me when I finally discovered what abstract painting meant. I mean, when I, I totally hear what you were saying about, you know, not understanding or even agreeing with what abstract painting was meaning to back then. I didn't understand it in most of my years as an illustrator. And so it kind of still amazes me that now I'm painting abstractly after all those years of not painting abstractly. Mm -hmm. But I came to discover that, you know, working intuitively, which is how I begin my work, my paintings, was just an amazing thing that, wow, there's no art director telling me what to do. I have no plan. I have no drawing. I have Mm -hmm. no deadline even. I, you know, I'm lucky to be where I am in my career that I can do that. So it was this huge playground, and I almost 
there are days when I don't know where to where to begin, and so I just start putting paint down. I have no plan. I I just grab some brushes and color, and I start building up the surface. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of akin to a child running on a playground, not even knowing which piece of equipment to jump on and you know spin around on. And so I just I just let myself go, and I do react eventually in the process. I'm actually looking at what's on the canvas and looking at it from the eyes of maybe there's a designer in me that's looking at balance or negative positive space or contrast. And I start judging it a little bit and I start making decisions based on what should go next. And then there might be the intuitive part that comes back in and just, you know, repaints the whole thing again. Mm -hmm. And so it's really, I never know what's going to come from, a painting until I'm until I'm finished. What's your medium of choice or media of choice now? Right now, it's acrylic paint, and I do use some collage. I, I work with some vintage uh, typography. I have mm-hmm. some really cool books that people have given me, like gourmet. There's this uh, gourmet book that I have that's a collection of old advertisements from the gourmet magazine back in the 40s and 50s and so i get these really cool you know black and white Mm -hmm. photographs and interesting type that's not really used much anymore and Mm -hmm. just really cool things that are that peek out in areas of paintings you said that painting and we're still sticking with abstract painting and not illustration quite yet but you said Mm -hmm. that painting is quote a mental support a drug unquote for you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How so? It lets me just drop everything. It lets me let go of whatever it was or is that I'm trying to control. It reminds me that whatever happens is okay and mm-hmm. that it's about the process and the journey. It's not about trying to get to a perfect solution. One thing I try to instill in the illustrators I mentor is how important the process it really is. Mm-hmm. That if you focus on the end product too much, it takes away from what you're doing, mm-hmm. i.e. the process. Right. And, and that ultimately undercuts the piece. Mm-hmm. True. And it also takes the joy out of it. You're, you're right. missing all the good parts by right. worrying about something that's not even happened yet. With your work, how much of a particular painting is the result of the process versus how much of it is pre-planned? Like a hundred percent or is it, you know, 95? I'd say maybe 99, (laughs) 99% process. Right. I I really, you know, the, the joy in it for me is being surprised by what I end up with. Right. If that's not there, then why am I doing this? Because I already did many, many years of knowing what I was supposed to end up with. And I, so we're not talking about like no preliminary drawings, no color no, studies. No, no, you know, I didn't even, you know, when I was, I know we're talking about painting right now, but I, but I have to kind of go back to me as an illustrator because I'm constantly doing that anyway, as part of my process, I kind of check in on myself and say, is this feeling like it used to feel when I wasn't too happy <laughs> in that controlled world that I was living in as an illustrator or is this feeling more free? And so I do check in with how I used to work sometimes just to kind of 
see how I've progressed or let go of things. So, um, right. so yeah, I, I really, I mean, the, the, it's, it's kind of like I've fallen in love again mm-hmm. later in life and discovered something I didn't know I would ever know. Right. And the joy of freedom and the joy of discovery and also just accepting the process mm-hmm. uh, as being more important than the final product, or at least as important, right. is such a gift. Yeah, it's like um, I, I hear this a lot when I talk to illustrators it doesn't look like how I want it to look. Mm-hmm. Is this the way it's supposed to look? And that's, I mean, there's so much of that that I feel is kind of arbitrary and also um, a little, not dangerous, not the right word, but um, constricting creatively. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, like who says, yeah. who says how it's supposed to look? I mean, I get with illustration, there are rules, but even with illustration, there has to be maybe not 99%, um, but there has to be a very large percentage of that where you kind of let it go. And it ultimately yeah. will tell you what color that thing should be or how big this object should be or what the composition flow should mm-hmm. look like on a particular piece. Yeah, that's right. And I think that now as a painter, there's fewer people in my head as I'm working, there's just me, actually, <laughs> right? And maybe some music, or you know, yeah, something exactly. I'm enjoying in the background. But you know, when you're working for somebody else, you're checking more boxes, right. and you're you're asking those questions: Is this what they wanted? That's mm-hmm. not allowed in my studio anymore. It sounds like I could be wrong here. Please tell me if I am. That what you are doing now and later in life, post illustration is sort of akin to like the 30 years or so of being an illustrator created a giant knot in you that you have now mm-hmm. since been trying to un- untie. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. I kind of felt like there was a knot. and so That was not happy for a long time. And I don't talk about that much, but well, you know, you have we to We are be now, unhappy. you brought it up. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, you have to be, <laughs> you have to be, unhappy in some I don't know if unhappy is the right word or dissatisfied Dissatisfied, Mm -hmm. at some point if you're going to make changes in your life or in your art I was at a point where I didn't know where I was going to go with my art I knew there was something I had this feeling I guess it was kind of like a knot but I felt like I was always standing at the precipice of somewhere and I didn't know where it was and I didn't really think about abstract art before I Mm. consciously navigated through what it you know what it was about but i knew there was something different from what i had been doing all those years and um i just started going through my art history books Mm -hmm. because i've always loved art history always loved art and like one of my favorite courses in art school and just kind of always kept up with it and yeah i started looking through the pages and asking myself what what was it about that that was so exciting to me when i first saw that painting or who was how did this person relate to this artist over here and you know why was i so excited about art history and it was because of because of all the different ways to express just countless ways to make a picture mm-hmm. they were all beautiful in my mind and it was like why am i limiting myself to a style mm-hmm. i'm not 
I don't think I'm cut out to be an illustrator anymore. It's kind of where I came to in it. And I, so I started just investigating, going back to some of my favorite um, painters from mm-hmm. the past and rediscovered. Some of your work reminds me a little bit of Clay, mm-hmm. a, a little Thank Kandinsky. Uh huh. Am I sort of in the ballpark there? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've kind of, I'm, I'm going to, trying to be more and more simplified in my work. So Clay is, is, uh, I take that as a compliment, and Miro too, mm-hmm. and a lot of the colorists. Um, the post-impressionists are still a great inspiration for me as far as color palette goes and the, the looseness of the paint and the shapes too. Mm-hmm. Kind of started out being inspired by the Cubists. I was just going to say, Brock, are you yep. a fan, fan of Brock's? I am. I am. And mm-hmm. Picasso too. Um, and the clean shapes of Matisse. Mm-hmm. I just love a lot of it. And I, yeah. and I just like to bring my favorite parts to my painting and I don't sure. want to, copy anybody that's not my goal i've always tried to avoid looking outside too much yeah even as an illustrator because you have to just really be comfortable with who you are inside so you can continue to do this thing if you're Mm -hmm. always looking to do somebody else's thing you know it's just not gonna work but certainly just to know what it is you love about somebody's work and then if you can dissect that and make it into a a goal to to incorporate something like that into your work. I think that's cool. Yeah, it's a little. Um, I keep thinking of the word dangerous for some reason. I don't know what the hell's wrong with me today. Um, <laughs> it's a little dangerous to even be talking about it because then it it gets into your head. If we're gonna if we mm-hmm. talk about clay for ten minutes, and then later on today yeah. you start painting, you might have that rattling around in your head. Yeah, which you don't want. The good news is, is once you start painting. Then you start looking and listening to your painting and less about what's rumbling around in your head. Got it. So maybe that's the the springboard yeah. and then you go from there. There are two artists that your work reminded me of. They both worked in the 1950s and 60s on jazz albums. One of them is Sadamitsu Fujita. Okay. He went by S. Neil Fujita. And the other one is Olga Albizu. So Fujita... He was the art director who did a ton of album covers for like Miles Davis, Dave Brubeck, Charles Mingus. Listeners will recognize his work when they look up Dave Brubeck's Take 5 album. Yeah, I know that piece. Yeah, yeah, that cover art is Fujita's or Fujita's. I'm probably mispronouncing his last name. Albizu, she was a Puerto Rican abstract expressionist. Her work can be found on the cover of Getzkiberto. Okay. You know the black one with the orange square painting? Yes, 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 yes. That's her. Cool. So your work reminds me well, of that as well. I take that as a compliment. No, and I and I actually listen to jazz quite a bit in the studio, so you that's, might, you that's very You likely have both of those albums in your studio. Oh, I know. I, I have Take 5 for sure. I'm not yeah. sure about the other one. So I guess what I'm trying to say is um, if Columbia Records or anybody else wants to use you for jazz albums these days, <laughs> that would be a great idea. I know, right? Awesome. Yeah, and a, and a lot of my um, panels are square, too. I like to work in big squares. So that would work. Mm-hmm. So I said three decades as an illustrator. Is that about right? Yeah, three plus. Three mm-hmm. plus. It wasn't just books. You worked in publishing, editorial, and advertising. Right. Right. Yeah, the editorial was pretty attractive to me. That was before I got into the books because I really liked the idea of working with concepts. And I was 
often hired to create concepts for different uh, magazines. I mean, just as a quick sure. um, reference, Tina Adamick is an art director who was really a great support for me in my early illustration here. She was the art director for McGraw-Hill's Sports Medicine magazine. And mm-hmm. she wanted, it was a magazine that was for doctors, basically. And so it was pretty dry, full of a lot of technical medical photographs. And she wanted to switch it up and bring some editorial illustration into it. And so she I'm not sure why she hired me, probably just saw I mean, back then we didn't have websites and things. Um, you know, how, how, the how could you? How around. did you manage? <laughs> I know, right? And I managed really well, actually. But you had a giant um, black portfolio the size yeah, of like your car. Built up my biceps, yeah, right? There you go. And yeah, holes in my shoes. So um, <laughs> <laughs> poor, hungry. It was raining out. Um, so she hired keep me. Going, to keep going. Keep going. Uphill, downhill. Some. To do some illustrations for her magazine, and I just loved coming up with these weird ideas for, like, you know, how to show acne in teenagers or how to show bladder infections without, you know, a medical mm. illustration of a bladder. And so sure. it was fun. And and so that editorial bent on things really kept me going for a while with different magazines. And then ad agencies came into the picture, and I was starting to make more money with them. And yeah, and then children's books was maybe in the second half of my career and um a lot of rejections first from those from those publishers they i think i i was using pastels a lot and i think they thought my work was not graphic and bold enough for the young is that what they were saying or did they not say anything i think i heard that i i mean i did hear oftentimes pastels is such a fragile medium i I don't think it's going to be able to work as an illustrator and that's pretty much all i used for the first right couple of decades well, good for you for ignoring that because obviously that's yeah silly. i mean that was my comfortable medium at the time there you go the children's book field really uh opened me up to a different way of thinking about making art and it was really about you know i started to look at mark chagall and the dreamy quality of his painting, his subject matter, and Salvador Dali, that surreal mm-hmm. dream quality to his work. And I tried to bring that into my illustration work in kind of a more contemporary way, I guess, and came yeah. up with this, what I called soft geometry style. Mm-hmm. That was all part of the journey. I mean, how I got to this abstract place, I'm not quite sure, <laughs> but... Maybe there is no how, though. I mean, maybe it's not maybe. It's not to be dissected. It's just the nature of being an artist. You evolve and change. I mean, tomorrow yeah. I might see someone doing a beautiful sculpture out of wood and want to just stop everything and become a wood sculptor. Like, who, who knows how that, how, what yeah. clicks and what doesn't click? True, true. You know, I think my emotional well-being was what, prompted me to look elsewhere right well i mean you've said it several times already so i have to ask it not that you were like depressed for 35 years or however long you were an illustrator but (laughs) it wasn't as fulfilling what what exactly i mean it was it just simply it wasn't creatively fulfilling or were there other factors like too constricting publishing yeah frustrations i mean what what was making you unhappy it was not exciting anymore. I, I'm not somebody who is a creature of habit. I don't think I, 
I get bored easily if I'm not exploring. And so what I'm doing now is perfect for me. I, 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 I explore every day. Mm-hmm. But when you are hired to do a particular thing with parameters that other people are overseeing, there's not a lot of room for explore- exploration. There is some, but there wasn't enough for me to just really feel full. Mm-hmm. Art has always been super important to me. It's just been the way that I live and breathe, really, even since I was a little kid. And so it's, it was important to me to really feel good about what I was making, and I, and I just wasn't feeling good about it. And there were times when... I would feel pretty good about a particular piece and then I would see it reproduced on a magazine cover and the color was wrong and the type was bad and, you know, whatever. It's like, why am I doing this? What am I, what am I doing when there's an end product that's not looking too good? And, right. and it wasn't fun anymore. Was there a specific, um, is it, how do I phrase this question? Is it accurate to say that you quit illustration? I mean, that sounds pretty abrupt. Or was it just simply uh, winding down? It was winding down knowing that I was going to be quitting. I mean, I had a couple of children's books on contract that I was scheduled to do. You know, the contracts are out there for a year or a year and a half ahead of time. So right. the more abstract painting I did on the side, I knew that that was what I really needed to do for the rest of my life. So I yeah. kind of just wound down. Yeah. What's the last book that you illustrated? Mornings with Monet, a children's book about uh, Monet and his paintings on the river, on the Seine River. So it was kind of fun to do an artist book. <laughs> sure. Well, that's not the only artist book you did. You did the one on Kandinsky no. and you won the Caldecott honor for that one. But that was 2015. When did you When did you do the Monet book? I think it was published four years ago. I was working on it five years ago, I guess. Mm-hmm. Time is escaping me plus, every day plus, plus a couple <laughs> right? of years of agreeing to the contract so yeah yeah okay. so yeah I've, i guess i've been um in the abstract world for six or seven years seven years i guess yeah. no but it seems just like maybe two it's going fast so you did win the caldecott honor in 2015 for illustrating barb rosenstock's the noisy paint box the colors and sounds of kandinsky's abstract art I hype, first of all, so on a side note, I, for some reason, maybe because I'm from the Mid-Atlantic and I even have a tough time saying, saying Minneapolis, I, I want to say Minneapolis, Minneapolis, that just, that sounds right to me, but I know it's not Minneapolis, but I have a, for whatever reason, I have a real tough time saying Kandinsky, Kandinsky, I want to mm-hmm. say Kandinsky, anyway. Regardless of how I say it, you still won the Caldecott honor for that book. This is post-Potter now. Mm-hmm. How did that feel? Amazing. It felt great. I was very happy with that book. I was trying some new things, mm-hmm. with collage, and um, and I really enjoyed making a book about an abstract artist right. and an abstract artist that I appreciated. It was a me- very meaningful award to me, and I was really honored to get the Caldecott for that. I mean, yeah. it was fabulous. Did they do the thing where they called you in the morning? How did you find out? I was actually uh, <clears throat> I was actually in Puerto Rico. I was on a dragon boat paddler's team, 
uh, breast cancer survivor team. Mm -hmm. And we were in Puerto Rico competing. We were just getting ready to leave that morning, go back to the States. And um, I was packing and my phone rang. And it was early, early in the morning. And I could barely understand what the person, the static was bad about somebody, I think from Chicago, telling me that I won the Caldecott. And I just, there I was packing my bags in Puerto Rico and I just started jumping up and down. <laughs> it was so fun. I had a roommate, a <laughs> team member I was rooming with um, and we just started jumping on the bed. It was great. <laughs> so. Oh, wow. Yeah. I'm happy that that's the book that won. I know you know this and I, I, I'm even hesitant to even bring this up because it just, it's like, it feels just very, so retread. And if I were you, I'd be like, oh my God, really? Let's can we please talk about something else. Like I'd much rather talk about the color blue than freaking Harry Potter. But there are lots of websites that say, you know, Mary Graham Prey, best known for her covers for Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's Harry Potter. So, you know, obviously there's the popularity that's built into that. If, mm-hmm. If I if that were me, I'd be a little annoyed by that. If I won the Caldecott honor, uh, that to me would be a mic drop. It would be like, there, that's what I should be. <laughs> Can that be what I'm known for? Um, I want a freaking Caldecott, guys. Also, yeah. I'm a, an amazing abstract artist. Can we, can I be known for that? Yeah. It, it would annoy me, but that's me. I'm annoyed by a lot of stuff. Does it bother you at all to be you know best known for her covers for Harry Potter? That, that doesn't bother me. What bothers me is that I'm oftentimes invited to, quote unquote, the party because of Perry and not because of other things. I mean, I've other things have hurt me personally when people want things from me because of Potter, but not because of who I am as a person or the other artist part of me. Publishing people or people people uh, people people and favors and things you don't have to get too into it but sort yeah of that. favors and things people you thought were friends or you know acquaintances and but then you realize okay maybe they weren't really friends or mm. you know i kind of just have gotten over it to a certain degree and i think that where i'm at now in my art career my painting my abstract painting it frees me from that right I mean, I still see it and hear it, and I still get emails and requests, and people want me to design tattoos for them that look like Snape or whatever. But it becomes kind of funny after a while. Sure. And it's I can appreciate it, and I, you know, and then you start thinking, well, you know, people really grew up with this thing, so you start sure. to kind of accept it on a different light. Mm-hmm. You know, first you're annoyed, and then it's like, okay, whatever, it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry if that for all the frustrating no. parts of it. <laughs> it's okay. Well, just as a former art director, uh, I, I, anytime I talk to an illustrator, even someone by the name of Mary Grant Prey, but anybody who struggle with the in the world of illustration, it, it saddens me a little bit because I love illustration so much. I love its world. I love the world. Mm-hmm. I love the history, mm-hmm. and I hate all the frustrating painful bits of it but i guess every industry has frustrating and painful bits so you know why is illustration any different right and then you just have to decide what are my priorities in life do i really care exactly 
you know. Yeah. And just for me, one last little thing about the Caldecott honor that I, I particularly derive a little joy from is that when you won it, you were in your late 50s, early 60s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is pretty great. I yeah. know. I was really honored. I was like, thank you for closing this. Yeah, there. I mean, I knew that I was going to be getting out of illustration when I got right. it. And so it was a nice way to wrap it up. And I just felt I'm very content. happy that happened for you. I really yeah, am. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate awesome. that. And just as a personal... I'm gonna be the I'm gonna be that guy because um, you know my wife and I when we were we were in our 20s we were living together in New York City Harry Potter was coming out the books were out we were like oh, the new book is out we run to <laughs> around the block and we lived on the Upper East Side around the we'd run around the block yeah. to to Barnes and Noble yeah we'd each buy <laughs> we'd each buy our own copies <laughs> run back to our 250 square foot apartment Aww. start reading and there is your art and there's your art. In our hands. Aww. 15, 10 years later, there's your art in my children's hands. Oh, I know. That's what makes it all okay. Right. Yeah. And I love that. And I love, you know, being in line, signing books for people in the beginning. And then, mm-hmm. you know, 15 years later, they're, they're, their kids are coming through with yeah. their, and they're grown, you know. It's, you feel like two years have gone by when, in fact, 20, 20 years have gone by. <laughs> You're like, damn it. Yeah. (laughs) No wonder my shoulder hurts all the time. Yeah. Yeah. But I just, I really, just the reading process of it, I loved getting to the end and then turning the page and boom, there was a little illustration. Mm -hmm. It was really nice. That's, That's sweet. Thank you for telling me. If you find value in this podcast, please consider supporting it as a patron. Your support will help me keep the podcast on its weekly schedule. Patrons receive perks, including a reusable 10% off discount code, access to dozens of patron-only episodes, opportunities to provide questions for guests, a soft enamel pin with our logo, designed by me, and more. Become a patron by visiting patreon.com slash illustration D-E-P-T. And now, back to our conversation. I understand you weren't too fond of school. Does that include high school? I'm trying to think. Well, high school, I was kind of, you know known as the artist, you know, quote, unquote. I mean, art school was a dream world for me. So I don't even really remember much about school. I mean, my elementary years were in Catholic school, and that was probably the worst of my school experience because, yeah, we Mm -hmm. very organized and strict. But the one thing Is it true that they tried to turn you, are you left-handed? Yes, yeah, they tried to make me a right-handed person. It didn't um, stick. Nah, <laughs> it didn't. <laughs> but the cool thing about being in in that school was that it, while we were in church every day, even though I oftentimes felt ill in church, and I don't know why, I think it's a psychological thing, I'm, I don't want to, you know. Well, the, if you ask the nuns, they would say the devil was in you. Well, they might, you know, mm-hmm. and there was a lot of guilt tripping and stuff like that, but... I'm post-Catholic, so I... Uh, Okay, uh, I feel so you, you get it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but there were. Do you did you have holy cards? The the oh, beautifully sure. gold trimmed mm-hmm. saints on each card, and mm-hmm. a prayer was on the back, and mm-hmm. maybe there'd be a beautiful biblical scene. But they were like these reproductions of these old paintings, these little tiny cards with mm-hmm. these old paintings, and they were beautiful. And I, and that is a huge part of my memory as far as enjoying artwork. 
And those were, you know, I was looking at those when I was just first, second, third, fourth, fifth grader. And they mm-hmm. kind of kept me afloat in times when I was feeling like nauseous mm-hmm. and scared. And I have actually started to bring some of that angelic, um, I don't know how to describe it, euphoric vision, uh, visual sense mm-hmm. to some of my work. Mm-hmm. There's like a transparency of colors and glow and I kind of tap in on those holy cards sometimes. You're gonna start. You're gonna start inlaying gold leaf on your painting soon, are you? I have actually. Oh, there you go. Yeah, and it's just I don't know. It kind of brings it full circle for me. Sure. I think. Sure. Yeah. There's um a little um looking at your children's book stuff now uh, to look at your work and to sort of think about art history. I'm 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 thinking of like a Frangelico. I'm thinking of Giotto. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. before Titian, before Pontormo, mm-hmm. like right before that, where the characters were just stiff enough, but it was still mm-hmm. beautifully done. There was like a folk art, um, kind of a naivete. Kind thank of a, you. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I was just trying to find something that was me that nobody right. else was doing, and that's hard to do. Oh, it's yeah. hard to stand out. Anytime I hear someone say, like an agent, or I hear, you know, I'll have a conversation with an illustrator and they'll say something like that. They'll say, well, you know, I'm, what I'm trying to do is, you know, come up with a style that hasn't been done before or uh, come up with a children's book idea that hasn't been done before. The other day, I was talking to an illustrator who said that her agent told her she presented a picture book idea to this, to this agent, and the agent said, I've seen it before. Oh. Uh. I don't subscribe to any of that. I, like everything's been done. Yeah. It just hasn't been done by you. Yeah. And also. It's going to be different. Y- yeah. It's going to be different inherently because you're the one who's doing it. Also, how does one know what's been done and what hasn't been done? They don't. There's no way they to don't. know that. Right. Anyway, like you it, say, everything's been done. Yeah. It's all, it's silly. It's silly. It is. You know, an, an agent posting on Instagram about, we're yeah. looking for something new. <laughs> yeah. Good luck. Oh, Mary. <laughs> And galleries, galleries can also do the same talk. Really? You know? Sure. So they're all looking for something new. What do you say? Has a gallery ever said to you like, oh, yeah, thanks, but no thanks. We're looking for something new. Yeah. What yeah. do you say? Well, thanks for your time. Okay. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't really, my goal isn't really to be in a bunch of galleries. I mean, I, I have friends who do beautiful paintings and mm. they are very prolific in the gallery scene and i'm i kind of just i i'd like to have more maybe a couple more galleries showing my work but mm-hmm. it's not necessary and i don't want to have to fill a bill for anybody i just want to paint what i want to paint and mm-hmm. not match anybody's sofa i mean there's you know, there's still galleries that want certain colors that I get that. You know, they they run a business. And when you're sure. mixing business with art, you're always going to be compromising somewhere. And I just don't want to do that anymore. I mean, I have a couple blank walls in my house if you want to, you know. <laughs> okay. You shouldn't say that because I really do need to get rid of some of this art. On permanent loan. Um, you know, I kid. <laughs> yeah. I kid. Okay. Okay. You went to the Minneapolis College of Art and Design, but you yes. didn't finish. Right. Uh, but I did. Later. You did later. Did you take yes. classes later or did they just kind of like throw you a diploma from 
their campus no, to they, your house. I did a trade. I did an honorary, got an honorary degree for coming back and finishing up. I didn't have that much to finish up, really. Okay. But I did a show there um, of uh, a lot of my illustration work, a lot of children's book work, and I mm-hmm. did some uh, workshops and presentations for them. Is this pre-Potter or post-Potter? Post-Potter. Speaking of which. Yeah. You worked on Harry Potter for about 10 years. Mm-hmm. It started in, was it 98 was the first book? I'm not sure, but I'm, I, that sounds about right. David Saylor at Scholastic, who was the art director, called you. Yes, yes. And said, would you like to illustrate a book about a magical boy under the stairs? Yeah. And you were like, no, I'm a little busy. Yeah. Pass. <laughs> when, when did he call you again? Um, if I can remember right, um, we talked for a while. I hadn't talked to David before that day, that mm-hmm. first call. Um, so I didn't know him, but he, I, he's like a great friend now at this point. But he, you know, he sounded nice and um, his project sounded interesting, but really I was really swamped with editorial work. And um, he said, well, can I just send you the manuscript and you can see what you think. And he mentioned a couple of illustrations he had seen of mine that he really enjoyed Mm -hmm. the color and the mood and the lighting. And, you know, he's very convincing, but yet my schedule was what it was. So I said, well, you could send it, I guess, but I can't, I, I really don't know that I can do this. I don't know if he called back a second time or he just sent the manuscript and then called me after that to check in. But after I read it, I really was intrigued by the story. And mm-hmm. I think I kind of related to mm-hmm. Harry a little bit. Um, it was interesting. And there, at that time, there were only, I think, three books that were being published. Was that the original plan? It was supposed to be a trilogy? Yeah, I, I think as far as I knew. Okay. Um, I'm not sure what anybody else knew at the time, but three, they were published in the UK first. Mm -hmm. I think only one had been published when they called me, and Mm -hmm. so they knew that there were for sure going to be three. And then you said, all right, I'll do it. Yeah, that was it. That was was when the the roller coaster started. The roller coaster. It was, yes, quite a defining moment. I mean, once it took off, how many security guards did you hire to protect the manuscripts? I mean, I assume you built a moat and maybe flew in some sharks well, with lasers and stuff. We, I actually had to sign a paper that said that we had a safe in the house where I would keep the manuscript. Did you have a safe in the house? We went out and bought a safe. Yes, we did. Um, and that I couldn't <laughs> couldn't discuss it with anyone. There was a lot of confidentiality oh, stuff to go through and attorneys. and. I'm sure you had family members who were like, come on, Mary, just come on, just tell us. You know, they really, maybe for a little bit, but then they kind of got it and they were not really into it much. Mm-hmm. When there was a leak, I remember there was a leak, maybe it was book four or five or something like that. Somebody somewhere in the chain of command or someone mm-hmm. leaked something of that story. And so I was questioned. Everybody who worked on the project was questioned, but it wasn't me. No, it wasn't Little Mary. Um, <laughs> so, or was it? No, 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 no really wasn't. 
No, but it's funny because um, I don't I don't know if you've seen um, Prada, the uh, what is it, Anne Hathaway and the Devil Meryl Wears Street. Prada. De- yeah, the Devil Wears Prada. Yeah, remember the scene where the guy is going to contact the illustrator for the Harry Potter books and get the early manuscript before it's published so that the uh, Meryl Streep's characters' children can read it. Yeah. Yeah, that was funny. That would, of course, (laughs) never, ever happen. Of course not. (laughs) Just one other movie in a long line of movies where publishing is not uh, depicted accurately whatsoever. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Correct. The other ones, uh, the one I can think of is, well, obviously Elf is a very popular one god yeah. publishing does not work that way and um the proposal with sandra bullock and ryan Reynolds. yes 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 publishing yes. doesn't work that way no no it's a movie <laughs> yeah it's movie magic anytime i my son does that i anytime i question a movie i'm like wait, wait that doesn't make any sense he's just like don't just don't, <laughs> don't question it. it's fine one of the things i love about one of many things that i love about your work for the Potter books is the medium. I love that it's pastel and I love that the interiors are charcoal. Uh-huh. It's old school and I can almost yeah. like feel it with my fingers. And mm-hmm. um, I do like that there's an impermanence to it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not done digitally, no shade on digital yeah. art at all, but it's, right. it's, there's one thing of it. There's one version of it. Here it is, wherever that here is. And, um, I don't know. There's something sort of special about that. That's nice to hear. I mean, I I don't hear that very often, and um, I agree. I think it, I think it's kind of I don't know if it's charming or if, I don't know what to call it. it's not charming, but it's it's a little charming. Uh, I guess it is. I mean, the the colors and you know, David um, really worked to make the whole set. David Saylor, the art director, worked to make the whole set kind of jewel tone and we decided the first two or three books the first three books were kind of a mix of jewel tones and then and when the fourth book came along David and I spoke about you know let's start with this fourth cover decide on a color that really works for for it as a set and then we'll we'll right. pick a color for four five six and seven yeah the first three books were kind of in their own little category and then the books of course got larger and larger right. the spines got bigger and the art kind of grew too and so every you know the number of chapters so there's a lot of work oh sure and there was a, a lot sure. to decide and david and arthur levine they're totally truly really great people to work with i'm yeah. really grateful that i had them uh, in my right. corner yeah the blue one was five it was real moody when he was yeah coming into his uh teen years and that was a really, that was actually kind of a hard book to get through to illustrate because it was really dark, really moody. Did David provide art notes or did you read it and then the two of you worked out like, okay, for this chapter, we want the locket or this chapter, it's got to be you know, the chapter heads yeah. or did you? Yeah, it was more like that. Yeah. Okay. Now he, he really trusted me with concept and um, I would go through and underline and highlight things throughout the manuscript mm-hmm. and, and then make... Um, visual notes for him and we would go over the phone uh, i'd fax him things when we were faxing and we'd um talk about it over the phone and he'd get the ideas approved by um arthur and jk rowling and and then um after the ideas were approved i'd go to t- 
tight sketches. I really gave them very tight, very involved, detailed sketches so they could see exactly what they were getting because there's so many eyes on the project. When you sent the art, like how much of the security did you have to worry about? Quite a bit. I mean, the security started when the manuscripts were delivered. The first mm -hmm. manuscript was just sent in the mail. Mm -hmm. And then I think maybe by book two or three, someone was actually flying down with a briefcase and handing it off to me. <laughs> and then it would be going into a safe. So that's how the security started. And as far as the art goes, I was sending original, sketch, uh, original sketches and original art to them via FedEx, which is kind of crazy when you sure. think about it. I assume that there was a certain point where people knew who you were, and if they saw a box and it had Mary Grand Prey on it, <laughs> they were like, wait a second, it's pretty heavy. Mary Grand Prey. Yeah. Let me, just, let me just peel it open a little bit and see what's going on inside. Yeah, I, I, somehow, no, we just kind of went with it, oh and nobody got Snoopy. I know it was very kind of risky to do that, but we did it. That's I would have done that, yeah. Yeah. And then when you're sending a pastel, you have to create these large foam core mats. Well, I did. I created these foam core mats so there'd be an airspace so nothing touches the surface of the pastel or it will right. get wrecked. Oh, God. So then you've got a very bulky box of mm -hmm. artwork to send. How much fixative did you use per piece? A couple of gallons? No, I, I don't use fixative. Really? So you could easily rub your finger up against one of those paintings today and pull away at it like it's a damn birthday cake yeah but surprisingly they're pretty stable i mean i i actually the way that i work on pastels are used to I, I worked on printmaking paper and then i would start with my lay my first layers and just really layer up but i would rub each layer in with my fingers and mm -hmm. the, the oil in your fingers really secures the the chalk and so it's only the first or the last um layer mm -hmm. or two that is vulnerable but no, I, the spray fix was not only, you know, a killer thing on your lungs, but it was, it would darken everything. Yeah, I was going to say, colors were never discolors it. Yeah. Where are these pieces now, by the way? Warner Brothers owns them. So they're in a vault somewhere. Every piece. Did you like mm -hmm. sneak one? You have one like under your bed? <laughs> no, I wish. Just between you and me. No. no. Yes, I have five, but no, I don't. Have <laughs> <laughs> oh no. my gosh. Yeah. It's, 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 it's a, it was a legal learning experience yeah, for sure. I bet. Is there anything about those covers, about those books, um, a particular drawing or one of the covers maybe that you look back on it and go, damn, that was a really good piece. I was locked in on that. Or conversely, is there something, a cover or one of the pieces that you're thankful you'll never have to see again? Um, well, I always see them, so that's unfortunate, but, um, <laughs> I guess, you know, I have my favorites and my least favorites, but honestly, the thing I'm proudest of mm -hmm. is the Harry Potter type logo. That's you. Yeah. And that's on everything. The movies and, everywhere. Yeah. I wasn't really... You know, without going into the the contractual things, it it was just something I kind of whipped whipped up and then tightened up and cleaned up later when I knew they wanted to use it. Mm -hmm. 
but I always, always have enjoyed type and typography and, you know, creating alphabets and stuff. And so I really am proud of that probably more than the actual cover art. And I'm very proud, actually, of the, the charcoal drawings. The, the covers I, I appreciate and I enjoy. Mm. The fifth cover, the blue cover, is probably my favorite. But I just enjoy the black and whites, I, I think, a little mm. bit more just because they're, they're simple little treats. They're like little yes. bonbons, yep. you know, instead of the big thing. And we're, I know with the covers, you know, the, our goal was to, David and I talked about this. He said, let's, let's put in a bunch of hints and bits of things. These, the stories are so richly written with so much detail and so many characters and places and creatures and, you know, mm-hmm. all these interesting things. Let's give little bits and clues of things in the, in the book without giving too much away. And so that's what the covers became. They became this collection of yeah. little hints of things. And Easter eggs that was and, the, mm-hmm. the fun, the, kind of a fun thing to do with the covers, but right. I'm, I'm more somebody who enjoys a simpler approach to things, I think, yeah. as visually. So maybe that's why I like the black and whites better too. But yeah. um, um, For the record, I think book six, I can't, the title of it escapes me at the moment. It's not the Half Blood Prince. Half Blood Prince, thank you. That's my favorite one. cover. Yeah. Uh-huh. Thank um, you. Yeah. Nice job. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. It was a journey. You got a career sure. in illustration if you, if you so choose to you know, <laughs> get back into it. Pretty sure. Pretty sure I'm right there. What advice would you want to share or just like one piece, one last thought maybe that you'd want to leave with listeners, whether they want to be illustrators or not, fine artists, abstract artists, wood sculptors, whatever. What would be one last thing that you'd like to impart um, from you to them? There's so many ways to be an art maker, to to express yourself. And I would say that don't settle too soon in your journey as an artist. What kind of artist you are and, and always know that you should always be growing and changing and exploring and that I would encourage you not to fit it, try to fit into a particular mold just so that you can market yourself as a particular thing. And I would, unless that's your goal, but I, if you really want to fulfill yourself creatively, I would suggest um, just listening to your gut and really creating art that you that makes you feel good and that you enjoy. And just keep exploring. Keep exploring. To learn more about Mary, visit marygrandpre.com. This podcast is produced by the Illustration Department, a global leader in online education for illustrators. Visit illustrationdept.com for class offerings like mentorships and portfolio reviews, testimonials, the Alumni Showcase, the podcast show notes, our Substack, our forum, our merchandise, and more. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.